Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take, the podcast about the climate crisis and all the ways we're talking and not talking about it. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Mariana East Hegler. This episode, we are going to talk about a very pernicious myth that progressivism killed the Democratic Party this election cycle. Um, And we are joined by one of my favorite people in the world, period, but definitely my favorite person to talk about this with, and that would be Rihanna Gunwright. (laughs) We're so excited to have Rihanna here. She is a freaking queen on all things policy Mm -hmm. and just really smart on like this, this kind of framing conversation stuff in general. And, and of course we will be debunking the myth of, of progressive values, not being winners. Exactly. And who better to do that with than one of the original authors of the green new deal. Right. So Rihanna is the perfect person for that. We're also going to talk about, you know, white supremacy, of course, because we can't not. And we're going to talk about how to talk about progressive values in a way that actually resonates with people. Because when you get down to the truth of it, it really does resonate with people. So, yeah, yeah, this is a different type of episode. We're not going to have the usual links. We do talk about some some articles, but we're not going to be reading from them in the same way. Because we're, we're critiquing a political narrative and not a media narrative. So, anyway, it's time to talk about climate. Pop Chat from CBC Podcasts is a new weekly podcast delivering smart takes on the week's top culture stories through a global lens. Join in the weekly group chat featuring the internet's smartest, funniest, and freshest voices. Together, they bring their hottest takes to the table, debating, discussing, and finding fun in today's pop culture discourse. You can listen and subscribe to Pop Chat wherever you get your podcasts. want to tell you about one of my favorite climate podcasts, Mothers of Invention. Their tagline is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. So good. And Mothers of Invention is a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish president Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kodikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. Of course, one of my personal favorites is their recent episode with Mary Annie's Hegler, my co-host on Hot Take, and my favorite person to listen to on climate justice. But really, I listen to every episode. They're all great. Find Mothers of Invention wherever you listen to podcasts. Rihanna Gunwright, welcome to Hot Take. Thanks for doing this. Welcome. Hi. I'm glad to be here. It's so funny that you mentioned climate Twitter because I feel like low key, I rarely tweet about climate because the conversations get uh, way too smart too fast. People are like, what do you think about uh, like utility tariffs? I'm like, oh my God. I'm on Twitter right now. Give me a break. (laughs) Who gets on Twitter to talk about? I just, I don't understand how Twitter is a good place to discuss utility tariffs. Like, I'll tweet about one thing and I'll be like, this is an invitation to just ask you about how the Green New Deal is going. What are you planning? And I'm just like, wait, I just, oh, wow. You know, so. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you get to have that whole conversation in public. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, and it's also (laughs) like, it's such, especially now after it's been around for a while, it really is a movement with like a lot of Mm -hmm. actors. And so a lot of times, like, I don't even feel equipped to answer the questions because I'm like, I would need to ask more people. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's the thing about justice, right? It's always collective. Yeah, totally. Um, Right. You can have action individual and just be like one person makes all the decisions and whatever. But if you want to actually enact climate justice, you're not going to move fast and you're not going to be all by yourself. Yeah. You're definitely not going to be either of those things. And it's really interesting Mm -hmm. because when you say that, that's been one of the parts of the Green New Deal that has been interesting to me or the reception of it. And it reminded me of post-election. Basically, everyone's trying to be like, Stacey Abrams delivered Georgia Mm single-handedly. And even Stacey Abrams was like, that's no, that's not what happened. I feel like it's people really struggle still. And I feel like in the U.S. particularly, we don't have good language for like collective work. Yep. A lot of people have been like, you're the author of the Green New Deal. And I'm like, no. Um, But a lot of times like journalists don't necessarily know how to frame that up right Mm -hmm. or people don't know how to discuss like a collaborative thing or how to and um and especially I mean even in policy like the currency is ideas right and so the more popular Mm -hmm. an idea the more politicians are talking about it not just like the more clout it's also you could get more grant opportunities you could you know a lot of things can happen so people can be really concerned about how to apportion credit Mm -hmm. you know and whatnot and it just reminds you just the ways that our systems are actually not set up for justice yeah right because um there's really real reasons material reasons people do that but at the end of the day like that's not really getting us any closer to liberation yep yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. and I tell people, I'm like, listen, the thing that I'm interested in is not having to do this in 50 years. Exactly. Like that is top yeah. of mind for me. <laughs> so I'm like, if I yeah. have to like lose out on some stuff, you know, like not the credit, yeah. like whatever, what is going to end this most quickly? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. all I care yeah. about. Yeah. But like even, even before the race was called in any way, there were already... Democrats pointing fingers about whose fault it was that there wasn't like a an immediate and obvious landslide Biden win or the blue wave that everybody was predicting. Um, so yeah, I think it was more about the blue wave than than Biden at that point, right? It was like, why aren't we running right. down? Ballot, why aren't we right? like obviously taking yeah. the Senate in particular and all of that stuff? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there were people that were complaining about. Uh, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, defund the police, and and kind of lumping everything together as this big socialist platform that progressives were trying to push and all of that kind of jazz. Uh, I think what's her face, the mm-hmm. um, woman from Virginia, that's I gotta look up her name. Hold on, Abigail Spamber. That's it. Yes, got like the most heat for it, but she was not the only one saying that stuff. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe Nancy Pelosi uh, piled on. There was like some, uh, some, yeah, it was an article in Politico that talked about Mm -hmm. it. 
about like never say defund police again, never say Green New right. Deal again. I never want to hear the word socialism again. And yeah, Amy, you wrote about this recently in the newsletter, right? Yeah, yeah. Because of course, then, you know, after people actually looked at what were people running on and what were people talking about and what were voters um, kind of voting for and against, it turned out that uh, none of that stuff was necessarily true. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is that like progressives and especially young voters turned out way more than they have in recent elections and that um, they totally disproved this stereotype. If, you know, progressive voters don't get their candidate, then they won't vote. That didn't happen this time at mm-hmm. all. And not yeah, even and a progressive little bit. voters delivered a lot of swing districts. So I don't know. I'm curious mm-hmm. as someone who lives in the policy world more than we do, Rihanna, what you were seeing yeah. on that front and like what you were thinking as those stories started to come out. I mean, honestly, I was really um, angry. Um, yeah. It was really hard. I think on like a number of levels, as a Black woman, it was really hard. And just like as a Black person, right? Because it felt like the conversations about who was to blame, right? They were happening the same time. Boats are being counted in Atlanta, in Detroit, in Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah. where people of color and young people are delivering you those margins. Right. Like that is that's who's coming out. I think there's some data that Biden picked off college educated Mm -hmm. white people. I think he picked some of them off versus last time. But, you know, some of that wasn't reflected down ballot. And it was just it was just like it was just really upsetting because it was like it's not even 24 hours. Right. And like the things that the people who are going to like do this like that are gonna turn this around for you you're already saying like let's not deal with some of their issues and that's not to say right that all black people are progressive right black people are not a political monolith Uh, and people don't seem to understand that right everyone was so shocked at rep rep Clyburn and I was like he's literally been saying this stuff for like 20 years you know like (laughs) black people are not a political monolith there are you know People range from more conservative to very progressive, very left, right? There's a lot of schisms by age Mm -hmm. that we don't talk about, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Between older and younger Black voters, there's differences, right? There's differences just like in any demographic. Um, There's differences, Mm -hmm. but but if you look across, you know, largely these communities are interested in action on the police mm-hmm. and not just police reform, mm-hmm. right? Like they're yeah. interested in environmental justice, right? right? This is one of the things, mm-hmm. you know, folks in Detroit, those folks like live in environmental injustice a lot of times, yeah. right? So those mm-hmm. are some of the yeah. things that they're voting on. So it just felt like, how are you silencing them? I mean, I'm in DC. Um, so I mean, all votes count, but that's also one of the tough things for me around election seasons Mm -hmm. is I have been a Black woman that has lived largely in blue districts, cities, states, and like even growing up in Chicago, there is a real feeling, particularly in 
presidential elections that like my vote has never mattered Mm. right as much as somebody voting in Montana or Wyoming Montana right or or, or exactly and so every vote counts obviously but there's we have to be honest too about like the way that our system is structured and the way that it silences people so for me to see all those folks come out to not be silenced to sort of then have the top part of the dim class be like "Ah," I was really mad about that um uh, and then um I was nervous because like the green new deal we're gonna fight for it regardless but like circumstances do matter right right, in terms of what kind Mm -hmm. of work that we're able to do what kind of things move and not just for that like I work um with a lot of progressive folks who work on policy and a lot of those things uh are looking at more uncertain futures and Mm -hmm. that's tough yeah people call those things lots of things but one thing that they do need to call those solutions a lot of times is effective right? Mm-hmm. Medicare for all is a more mm-hmm. efficient, effective system, right? Like just as a system mm-hmm. of health care, health care delivery, it is more efficient. Defunding police, police are ineffective at dealing with a lot of problems that they're called to deal with mental health issues, domestic right. violence, et cetera. So we elect matters. All of that is incredibly important, but at the same time, what's done, what needs to be done needs to be done. Right. And that Mm -hmm. kind of doesn't matter who's in power. And what we do know is that we need a massive overhaul of our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. We need right to rapidly decarbonize. And we know that like market mechanisms aren't going to do it purely. Like we know we need to invest at this point. Right. So there's just a lot of things where it was frustrating because it felt like we're going to start instead of sort of moving on how do we do these things? How do we set them up? How do we get them going? Mm -hmm. We're going to go back to having an argument over why right we should do this mm-hmm. how valid mm-hmm. they are how feasible and to me that's just a waste of time right especially when you can literally mm-hmm. look around at other countries that have done all these things right so it's just complete bullshit that we just it's too hard it's impossible all of these things and so that's frustrating because it feels like why are we having i don't want to have the set of conversations again especially when there's plenty of evidence And then Mm -hmm. the last thing is just like, it was a very frustrating thing to have what felt like still very racially coded things Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. And also just like the analysis itself was so devoid of considerations of race. Right. And Mm -hmm. and, um, that it, and whiteness and the functions of white supremacy and also to some extent, patriarchy, right, masculinity, all these things. Um, but it was really frustrating because there was like no analysis of that, right? Like you're just saying, oh, if we, like there's a reason that people call defund police and stuff socialist and it's not about socialism right? entirely. It's about race, right? Like that has right. always been a racist dog whistle. Mm-hmm right? To say we're giving Mm -hmm. money to the wrong people, the wrong people are benefiting. And also it's frustrating because like defund the police, people are talking about it. Like it's just about slogans. And you're like, this is a movement that is deeply connected to black people and people Mm -hmm. of color, which means that a lot of folks are going to misunderstand what it is. Right. 
intentionally or just because it's so connected to black people Mm -hmm. See, this is a big part of why we wanted to have you on to talk about this, because this episode, we're talking more about political messaging than we are about the actual media. Um, And that we usually have like journalists on the show, but you were much better equipped to talk (laughs) about this. (laughs) So we went with you. Um, I think the other thing that's like really frustrating to me about this narrative is that it came out so goddamn soon after the, uh, like, not even the votes were counted, just after the votes were cast. It's like, really, this is when we want to start talking about this? Why? So you don't even know if you won or lost yet. You're trying to figure out who who to blame. It's like you've been waiting Mm -hmm. this whole time. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating, too, because there's a lot of talk about defund police and how that scares people um, and all of that. But there's not a discussion of, like, are there political costs to centrism? Right, right. Is there a part of this that had to do with like some people voting for a referendum on Trump in the midterms and not feeling like that happened? Right, right. Is it about having two candidates whose like positions um, people might not always know the difference between exactly are there weaknesses around some of our centrist messaging what were these Mm -hmm. you know what were these campaigns doing how are they targeting people right right but like that's that's on you you got to figure out how to do that yeah even if it's even if it's just police reform right like you got to figure out how do you how do you say that and separate from your opponent and that's not to say these folks didn't do that but like a lot of times like you have to figure out how to bring people to where you are and particularly around policy that can be sloppy. Mm. Yeah. I think Amy, you had a point. You were no, I was just going to say that. I feel like, um, I feel like uh, AOC talked about that a lot in that New York times interview that she did, which was so good and so mm-hmm. like disturbing as like, just to, to hear her be like, I tried to help all these people. <laughs> Who doesn't Mm -hmm. want AOC helping on their campaign? Like, even if, I don't know, I'm just like, even if like, I don't agree with a single policy that she wants to push, there's no denying that the woman knows how to win races. Like, you would think that. Right. And she said that everyone she did help uh, won. Everyone she helped won. And also uh, she said that like, she looked under the hood of all the campaigns that were losing and they had really bad digital game in a pandemic, which like, you're not firing on all cylinders if you're doing that. But I think the other part of this that seems so obvious to me is that, okay, so we're talking about why the Democrats didn't win down ballot because Joe Biden won the electoral college handily. He won the the popular Mm -hmm. vote handily. Um, It's just like you didn't win down ballot with the Senate races and the Congress races. And I think there's a very obvious thing there. And that is that the Democrats ran against Trump. They didn't run against Republicans. They kept like constantly trying to emphasize, oh, Trump is this anomaly and they're still good Republicans. There's good moderates. Um, And, you know, if that's the case, then why not vote for it? And we're seeing so clearly how that's complete bullshit in the aftermath of this election. Like, 
Yeah. Exactly. And the Republicans were like, they are fucking, like, they ran against the Democrats right. hardcore. So you weren't fighting fire with right. fire. Right. I mean. <laughs> they were calling the entire left socialists. Yeah. Socialists and also, like, lizard people. Like, let's be real. Like, it, it gets, socialists is not the worst no, thing that they true. call us. They, like, Alex Jones calls us anti-humans. <laughs> So this is like, this is one of the things that to me has stood out. And I think part of what I struggle with a lot after the election was it just felt like any take that wasn't about white supremacy and race Mm -hmm. centrally felt very lost to me. And that's not just because, right, like, um, because of Trump's platform, but because we know the makeup of the GOP. Right. We know how corrosive mm-hmm. their messaging is now. We know, right, like mm-hmm. how much they are, they, like, like Mary said, how much they try to paint people who are not Republican as not hu- mm-hmm. human, right? And that is very, very tied up in race, right? And yes. the way that they sh- talk about Democrats is essentially, you know, the party of everybody who ain't white. The only people who can get in there and try to figure out how to undo that are white people. Right. Mm. What this election felt like made clear to me and what I was like sort of confused about the dim take on it was like what it showed me was that there are over 70 million people who will vote for Donald Trump, the vast majority of those people are white. And they, at this point, it's been four years of Trump. They know exactly what they're voting for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are actively voting for white supremacy or, Mm -hmm. you know, are comfortable enough to say that like these bad, he can treat all of these other people bad, but it doesn't matter enough to me, which is still racist, quite frankly, right? Totally, and immoral. It's like, it's like if you're voting for him because he like, whatever benefits your bank account, that's still immoral. (laughs) Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was also what was shocking to me about Dems was that it felt like underneath a lot of the discussion was, we need to stop scaring white people. Yes. How do we appeal again to white people? And like, we can call it the working class or whatever you want to call it. But one, the working class is very much people of color and they overwhelmingly voted for Dems. So who really isn't the party of the working class? Mm -hmm. Right. And they're talking about like suburban white people for the most part. Yeah. And rural white people. And rural white people. And like they're, but that was, it was really frustrating to me because it was like, so the first thing is to again like center white people in a way that is not problematized or anything right just again to reassert that like even though millions of other people are helping you get in the office are the reason that these folks are the central folks Mm -hmm. to focus on actually it seems like the thing that's gonna get you all white people again is figuring out how to get, get at least some white people to see that whiteness is not their top policy issue right and there was no discussion of that no approach to that and it's like these folks aren't voting for trump again again if you don't have a read on whiteness on white supremacy on the way that you know white supremacy has showed up in our electoral institutions and just like through uh sort of the history of elections and to some extent the things that white people have done in order to stay in power, to sort of not always 
make elections as representative as possible. It seems like if you look at that history, again, to say that this is just a question of economics just means that you haven't paid attention. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of something I heard you say on another podcast, Mothers of Invention, a little while ago, that um, if climate deniers were poor Black people, nobody exactly. would care what they thought. Exactly. 100%. And yes. the, yeah. And for the longest time, all, and I still get this question a lot, when it comes to climate communications, it's like, what do we need to say to convince the deniers? Like, first of all, uh, I, yeah. that's not my job. Number two, like only white people are going to convince those people, but also you need to recognize that a lot of them are not in denial of climate change. They're in denial, like they actually have a pretty good read on what it's going to do right. to them, Yeah, which is not the same as what it's going to do to me. Right. And also a lot of them look forward to the opportunity for ethnic cleansing. And we need to be real with ourselves about yeah, that. And, well, yeah. And like all of the data on climate deniers, it's like, I think it's, I don't know, 90% white men from a very specific demographic that also happens to map to men's mm. rights activists and Trump voters. And, you know, yep. it's like, there's, it's not a mystery. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <sighs> yeah. Yep. And, and you're right, exactly. Rihanna. Yep. Like why, why does the democratic party keep pandering to people who, whose values are not aligned with, uh, the, like the values that the, the party claims to espouse. I don't understand that. Um, it, or even right. to talk yeah. about it. Like why, why are you trying to like water down policies and beliefs and whatever to somehow come up with like a flavor of defund the police that like doesn't, doesn't scare middle-class white people instead of well, that... like getting them to stop caring so much about the privileges of being a middle-class white person. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think that like, that's a very, very good question. And I think there's a lot of answers, but I think again, like we have to, <laughs> nothing in this country happens outside, right. Of the uh, of the confines of white supremacy, yeah. right? And I'm just, I know people mm-hmm. like, if we, I'm like, and I feel like people, I'm talking about white supremacy more often now and I feel like people are kind of shocked because they're like, I thought you talk about climate and I'm like, listen. What's the difference? Yeah. I, right, and I don't know how we're going to get from <laughs> one to the other, right? right? Like without right. figuring this like knot that we're in out. Yeah. Um, Right. And but I think there's a lot of things. But one of the things that like we have to be honest about is that like white supremacy, structural racism is present, not just in both parties, but in like all of the aspects of our governmental systems. Yeah. Right. And on so many Mm -hmm. aspects of our society, like it's just um, and so you're like, why water it down? But if you look (laughs) like in some ways, the thing that the two groups can sort of agree upon in some ways is structural racism. Right. Not to say that like everyone is racist, right? But there is, because we don't have like um, a very thorough analysis, I think particularly honestly in policy and politics, we say the word structural racism a lot. We do not, do not actually have a great understanding of what that means mm-hmm. often. Yeah, there's like an right, acceptance how, of the system mm-hmm. as it is and like a lack of questioning all these things. Exactly. And so, and mm-hmm. they're still like in the actions of both parties, you still see, despite who's voting, whatever, a real centering of white voters, 
no matter like what Mm -hmm. as like the voter to get like the real voter right and so in some ways it doesn't surprise me the watering down because I see it across the board and even in policy again people often design for you're always designing for somebody right right? it's not always people don't always say it out loud who it is but a lot of times people are designing for unless they're explicitly trying to think about something with race or racial equity they're generally designing for middle class white people right and if you're talking about a reliable voting block structurally in lots of ways it is white people mm. right like they don't suffer from mm. and i mean that in the sense of voter suppression right not that right. white people turn out but like oh they're yeah. the ones most yeah. likely who That's are going to okay. have the fewest barriers <laughs> to like voting right right there's always right right uh, who like georgia they purge what hundreds of thousands of black people's off the rolls yep. before 2018 yep. right mm-hmm. even though florida voted to yep. re-enfranchise citizens governor DeSantis, right pushed that out so that returning citizens couldn't vote in 2020 mm. right and so mm-hmm. in lots of ways like the treatment of white people as real voters is reified through our systems because they're the ones who don't have any mm-hmm. barriers to their vote often or the fewest I should say the fewest barriers because if you are low income you could definitely face barriers yeah. and if you've been in the you know if, if white people have been jailed they also lose you know, depending on the state, they can lose their right to vote, et cetera. So being swept up in those systems, for sure, definitely affects um, some white folks. But for the most part, right, if you're talking about reliable in the sense of you can't throw them off the rolls without a lot of suspicion. Right. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's also still just like a a sense of of taking – black and brown voters for granted as like like oh they'll always vote democrat in large numbers so we don't have to worry about i i, I feel like there's still that, oh, that oh, attitude oh, uh-huh. yeah Can I take in that the one? democratic party there's still <laughs> such an attitude like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah i say yeah yeah that's my answer <laughs> yeah uh-huh. <laughs> I, I mean i agree we have to something i try to think about a lot is incentives and disincentives mm-hmm. right because we're all making choices but rarely are any of us making choices right with no constraints right um and mm-hmm. so again like yeah they take us for granted but if you think about our electoral system it literally incentivizes taking large swaths of black and brown folks for granted right because they're mm-hmm. they're in blue places that are just treated for election reasons as a flyover country. Yeah, I mean, I'm from the third largest city in the United mm-hmm. States, third largest, mm-hmm. right? Presidential candidates don't come at all because Illinois is nothing, <laughs> right? In terms of well, they take it, yeah, yeah. They, they take they it for granted. They're like, turn. oh, it's and, just gonna and, go right. blue. It's gonna go blue. It's gonna go blue. Right. Yeah. And so what that means right. is that a lot of people of color. I mean, a lot of them live in the South, right? And we're seeing them turn into real battleground states. But part of it is that um, a lot of them are hmm. in sort of traditionally blue and large urban centers like there's just not a lot unless they're in swing states there's no incentive to take those voters you know to like cater to those voters yeah. and i say that it matters because when you think about you know everyone's running for re-election all the time right, right. and particularly mm-hmm. presidential so if if we're talking about a presidential race like every if people are still going after the same voters in the same states 
those voters, what they want is going to matter a lot more than right. places where they're like, they're just blue. And so I know. like it also incentivizes yeah. politicians to pay attention to certain constituencies, certain areas more. Yeah. And in some cases, like, you know, they are, they do have a lot of people of color, but again, like, is it red state or is it voter suppression? <laughs> right. right. Like incentivizes writing off in large part voters of color um, for racist reasons and structural reasons because yeah. no camp no campaign can invest everywhere right so there's always a prioritization and the way that our electoral system is that priority is often you know includes certain people of color if they live in the right states but other ones yeah I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter, like the way that Mississippi is often mocked and ridiculed in particular after the elections, because Mississippi built the Democratic Party as we know it. The reason the Democratic Party became progressive is because of Black people in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, go read about Fannie Lou Hamer if mm-hmm. you want to know more <laughs> about that. Um, so there's that. Also, it's 35% Black. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty damn high percentage. And everybody else ain't like a raving conservative. Like we think of red states as like just right, like you were saying you're from flyover country. I believe the Democratic Party has treated the South as throwing. Oh, 100%. Country. And it's really painful. I know a lot of like white and black people in the South who just simply don't vote because they're like, it's a, it's a red state. Why waste my time? 100%. And a lot of them like voted for Obama just because they wanted to say they voted for the first black president. Um, also in Mississippi, Kanye West got 3000 votes. And I think it was just because a lot of people were like, fuck it. I just, I, my vote doesn't matter anyway. Why as well? Just like have fun with yeah. it. Right. So that's super, um, short-sighted, right? If Alabama can elect Doug Jones, Mississippi could have elected uh, Mike Espy if they had invested there. Mississippi could easily turn blue. Mississippi told the rest of the country what it was to be blue. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Democratic Party ain't progressive enough for Black folks in Mississippi. I wouldn't be surprised about that either, 100%. And you actually bring up a a really good point, and I'm glad you brought it up, because like, you are 100% right. Like, honestly, the Electoral College Blue Red, it disincentivizes a lot of people mm-hmm. from participating, right? Because it does, right. in some ways, feel like the thing is settled before you can even say anything, mm. you know? And so it right. can feel pointless. And so the Electoral College definitely, mm-hmm. I think, is like, to me, in my personal opinion, you know, I think that it is makes it incredibly hard to get people excited about democracy, right? And a down-ballot races matter a lot, a lot, right? And so I will never, ever say a down-ballot race doesn't matter as much. At the same time, presidential elections are such a thing. And also the way that a lot of people get introduced to political participation. It's also the time when we tell people the most that like democracy matters. But we actually still have this anti-democratic mechanism at the center of it that that mm-hmm. makes it very difficult. But something else, like you're completely right, Mary, and that's, a, I feel like it's sort of, again, two sides of the same coin, which is that the majority of Black folks still live in the South. So yeah, just writing things off as red country also says you all don't matter down there. Right, because yep. we couldn't yep. convince you know- enough white people mm-hmm. right, to vote this way. So mm-hmm. 
Good luck. Because we stopped exactly. trying. Because we stopped because trying. We, stopped trying. <laughs> we just wrote them off as racist and said, you know what, go down your little rabbit hole. And now we want to act surprised when they came out Nazis. You know, what's really funny is like when people find out, you know, what I do for a living and then also where I'm from, a lot of white people will be like, what does your family think about what you're doing? Like, aren't they climate deniers? Like, my family's black. <laughs> We're not black people ain't climate deniers. My grandmother is from Gulfport, Mississippi, and she is 91. And to this day, oh. she will fight you if you throw a recyclable mm-hmm. bottle in the trash. You <laughs> know, and it's not no, that we know about climate change, and we know it's not our fault. Yeah, and like, she those two things exactly. And her thing is like we have to leave the earth like for our future generations. Like we can't right. trash it, right? Right, and like that. Right. And my grandmother, she doesn't, you know, like. She doesn't know about a ton of other actions she can take. She's 91, right? And I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. What I learned was reduce, reuse, recycle too, right? right? Like that's, yeah, but yeah. with the tools that she has, she's very serious about it. And that, and that's yeah. my grandmother is not someone that people would think of as a climate voter, but she does not miss a single election. And if right. a mm-hmm. candidate is good on climate change versus another, she would 100% vote for the candidate who's good on climate change. Right, right. Now, how do you feel about this, Cal- uh, Amy, from California? In term, well, yeah, presidential um, candidates like pretty much just never come to California. <laughs> I mean, they'll like occasionally go to Orange <laughs> County because that's like the big Republican stronghold that they'll like try to, you know, win over. I like. I was trying to think when you guys were talking about like the last time a presidential candidate came to L.A., for example. I can't think of a single time in my lifetime. One of the Republican politicians this week said something like, if you take all the states except California, like, then it would be, you know, then actually, like, Trump won the popular vote. And it's like, uh, California still counts. Like, we're citizens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's such a wild game to me. If you take all part of the country... Yeah, no, I'm like, like as a state, like, we have the fifth largest what? economy in the world, you fuckers. <laughs> right. <laughs> you. <sighs> Look, Amy, if you if you just took, you know, six inches off of you, we'd be the same height. If you think about it, that's just math. Even like the white people in Mississippi, they just wrote them off as like racist, whatever. I, I mm-hmm. feel like that's an interesting conversation because I've feel like I've heard more folks be like, okay, so we know that white supremacy is an issue and um, how do we, and white folks are like, well, what do we do? And I think it's so interesting to think about like work, like deep canvassing or some of the other ways that like, not, not the parties, but organizers have been trying to figure out how to blunt racial resentment, right? How to like do yeah. persuasion with communities that, or people that don't always think about those things. And I just think that it's really interesting because like these tools exist, right? right? Like they could be funded, used, like there's no reason why, to me, why that couldn't be something that, you know, that is a part of campaigning going forward, given what we know about racial division in the country and particularly among white folks. But again, I just thought that it was interesting that the answer was again about just messaging and not about, I feel like what has also been coming out is like base building. 
beyond elections, yeah. right? Like investing in communities, mm-hmm. like doing this sort of deep relational work and things that could sort of theoretically bring, you know, Dems more like long-term support mm-hmm. from white folks, but no discussion of it yeah. at all. My theory on that is that um, I think we got to a point, particularly in the 60s and 70s, where we convinced ourselves that racism was going to die out with uh, the next generation, right? Because if you look back at what the boomers looked like in the 60s and 70s, they looked markedly different than their parents. They looked extremely progressive. We're talking about like you know, this, that is the generation, well, really, it was the Black people that did this work, but, like, that broke the South, that brought Jim Crow to its knees, Um, and then, but also, white baby boomers seemed a lot more progressive than their parents. They were against the Vietnam War, they were, like, all of these, like, hippies and rebels, whatever, and people really thought that it was going to die out with their parents' Mm. generation, and now we're saying the exact same thing about the baby boomers that the baby boomers said about their own parents' generation, and so we get into this really dangerous place where we think, oh, it's the last gasp of white supremacy. White supremacy don't gasp. It wheezes, (laughs) and it's never going to be as like you have to kill that shit. It's a it's a yes. I feel like yeah. that's such a it's such a good analogy to the <laughs> it's a cancer. Um, to the oil companies too. I feel like people keep thinking, oh, they're mm, just gonna mm-hmm. like fade away. Like, no, they are not. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, but I think that like it's interesting that you said that because I do feel like that is sort of happening a little bit with Gen Z, right? Where yeah. there's this sort of discussion mm-hmm. about like Gen Z is the most progressive generation which i agree and i think that they have like a very incisive uh analysis of white supremacy a lot for especially for their age like yo i'm i'm super impressed all the Mm -hmm. time they seem more collective it's again in general but yeah 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 but there's the same sort of like they're gonna save us and i'm like no No. because if you look at the the totals like young white people voted pretty strongly for Trump. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was overwhelmingly, but they're not. And there's like a lot of, when I see Trump rallies or supporters, there's a lot of young people, right? Like it's not, it's, there's a lot of young. How old was Dylan Roof? Oh, yeah. Young. He was not, was he even 20? Was he even 20? I don't know, but he wasn't, he wasn't old. Yeah. Neither was that little kid who went out to uh, Kenosha or was it Kenosha? Where where someone was shot? Yeah, that kid too. He was like 18, 19, something like that. Yeah. And like, I'm on TikTok and there are plenty. (laughs) You are? Yeah. TikTok makes me very happy. Um, Oh, I know. It's like, um, but there's a lot of like Trump's like, young Trump supporters on TikTok who do like videos Mm -hmm. about, you know, so it's not, so again, I think like you said, it's white supremacy isn't a thing that is going to go away. It's like fossil fuel companies are not things that are going to go away. There's a material interest in both. One, Mm -hmm. people make money, right? People derive power. Uh, People maintain power, right? Um, 
Mm -hmm, based on mm -hmm. these things. Well, and at what point in history ever can you point to someone with power voluntarily giving that up? I I can't think mm. of a a single that shit example. don't happen. <laughs> you know, that maybe at an individual happen. level, also, sure, but at a systemic level, no, never seen it. Right, it's like trying to use raid on yeah. bed bugs. Like, no, you got to get the exterminator. You got to take your shit to the laundromat. For me, I actually think of when I think of white supremacy, particularly in the context of policy i think of it as a cancer yeah right like it is a thing Mm -hmm. that once it is in your system if you do not figure out a way to get rid of it it will metastasize and kill everything right because the thing is white supremacy forces a society to stay off balance right right because you're constantly Mm -hmm. distributing the majority of the resources the control over those resources etc to a certain group of people, right? And now with income inequality, right? Like that group of people is um, growing even smaller, but any no system can exist for that long out of balance, mm-hmm. right? Like that's yeah. what happens when you yeah. have cancer, right? And mm-hmm. and there's just no, and so like for me, I get really frustrated because I'm like, the sooner we figure this out, the sooner we actually have a healthy governance system and democracy right because this yeah. is eating yeah. us out from the inside right um yeah. Yeah. and it makes me really frustrated because as a person of color i feel like there's a lot i can do about it particularly in like setting the vision right like i feel like it's particularly often the responsibility of people of color to figure out like and express what lies beyond this like in a society without oppression, what does this look like, et cetera. But a lot of the work, like we talked about, I can't do because those folks aren't going to listen to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it scares me because I'm like, if this is a thing that's eating us from the inside and only the folks, largely the folks who like benefit from it the most that can do something about it. But then instead of doing something about it, they blame progressives for sticking their campaigns. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand that white supremacy is bad for white people who are benefiting from it, too, ultimately. You know, that like, this is actually bad (laughs) for you, too. It gets framed as like, oh, we're asking people to dismantle something that they benefit from. And that is true. But it's also true that like, it's rotten for everyone. Yeah. If it's rotting society, like that's bad for you too. Yeah. 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 White supremacy is nobody's friend. Yeah. We also have to do a better job of telling the truth about how white supremacy has shaped the policies that we have. Right. So that people see another. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of the, a lot of inefficiencies and systems, right. Or the ways that things break down, for instance, do y'all remember early in the pandemic, uh florida (laughs) couldn't get people like on unemployment it was taking a lot of states and florida wasn't the only state it was taking them a while and it was partially because they had made it so difficult to sign up because they because of these um fears about fraud fraud which were all very racialized very much coming from like stereotypes of welfare queens and people of color as welfare cheats, particularly Black people. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was we're in this pandemic, people need money, and the system doesn't work. 
because it was mm-hmm. built right it was built this way because of racist reasons and we don't tell the truth about that right right we just say oh something's mm-hmm. wrong look at florida they don't know what they're doing or <laughs> right. you know uh, or you know look at government they just can't do anything right you know they we need help and this is you know government doesn't but we don't tell the whole story which was that actually this is an example of how white supremacy is messing you up right because this mm-hmm. was designed to hurt people of color and, and now, now it's, it's coming on everyone. you yes 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 exactly exactly i i think that kind of gets us back to um you know this nasty narrative that is progressivism that sank the democratic party because even if that were true and we've already like gone through how it wasn't true like people ran the numbers people who supported green new deal didn't lose people who supported medicare for all didn't lose and nobody ran on defund police right so like it's already not true but even if it were true that doesn't mean you abandon them. Right. <laughs> that doesn't mean you abandon your ideals because they didn't poll, right? Like the right thing to do is still the right thing to do. So maybe you need to learn how to make the yeah. case. Yeah. And that's a, it's a really interesting thing because people have asked me that a lot since the election or even before. And like I said, I was mm-hmm. dejected for a bit because I was like, great. Uh, the, I've, you know, I'm... I'm 31, so I'm an adult, you know, but I've spent Mm -hmm. a lot of the last two years of my life working on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was tough, right? Like I spent, last year was one of the toughest years of my life. And no, the whole time I was working and like, I was dejected. I was like, dang, like, what are we going to do now? And people were asking me and it actually took me a bit to be like, actually, I'm gonna keep doing, I mean, some of my work will change in the sense of like, we have to, you know, it's a new setting, maybe we have to figure out how to communicate these things in new ways. But this idea is still, to me, the best one I've seen on the US political scene about how to deal with climate change, Mm -hmm. particularly in a way um, that creates more racial equity. And so I'm still have to do the work that I have to do. Like what what needs to happen didn't change even though you know it's tougher but it sucks it's hard yeah yeah I mean I think that like you were saying just now about deprogramming people right like I think there needs to be an understanding that uh, like first of all running just against Trump misses the point um, something has happened on the right wing of this country and we can't just act like it was, it's all just one man. Right. No. Like there's been yeah. a cult building over there for right. a long time and all of this, like look the other way and wait for it to go away. And like, they'll tire themselves out. Like I, I wake up uh, ra- uh, irrationally angry at James Carville <laughs> because he advised everyone to just laugh at them as yeah. yahoos when they emerged as the tea party. And it's like, it, it's probably funny for you because you don't have any sort of ancestral memory of them chasing your ancestors yeah. through the woods yeah. with ropes. I don't think a lot of people know either that the Koch brothers were, they started with the intention of overturning Brown versus Board of Education. <laughs> like that was their, uh, that, that was like their See, this is what thing. I mean about telling the truth. Exactly. Like now I'm like, oh, mm. 
Mm. Yeah, mm. it's like everybody's like, oh, Koch brothers. Yeah, they've done in a different way. You're like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, when you hear the Koch brothers talk about school choice, what you should hear is resegregating schools because that is what they have been trying to do their entire political existence. And yes, they are also the largest pushers of climate denial, and they are the people who funded and really got the Tea Party going. <laughs> yeah, like that see, shit's all connected. Thing, like, if they can yeah. understand. If they can understand that the, all of those are the same thing, exactly. why can't we, yes. right? Like we want to separate them from one another and make them like acceptable and polite culture. But like you need to attack the, the problem yeah. at the head. Um, and there's this like fear of doing that because we don't want to offend people. And what that really is, is like the other side, like white liberalism is really passive aggressive. Yes. And we don't look, like, how has that helped anybody, right? Like. I just don't say what you mean and mean what yeah. you say. And there's always like this sort of like, um, they put a priority, meaning the mainstream democratic party seems to put this priority on being obtuse mm-hmm. and being quote unquote strategic by what, what they really mean is manipulative. Yeah. And like not making anybody mad. Yeah. So how can we talk about these things better? Uh, I mean, I think that's a really good question. Not us. <laughs> Me, myself, personally, all of us on this call, like, I feel like we've done pretty good in this arena. But in particular, like, I'm thinking about your experience, Rihanna, when you first came onto the policy scene in climate. And I remember there were a lot of people when the Green New Deal first, you know, became an idea, like, well, how are you going to, you know, put all of these things all of these things under the right. same umbrella and plenty of people being like well what does race have right. to do with trying climate? to do too Why much are you putting the yeah, whole kitchen yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly putting these things that have nothing to do with climate underneath climate and i think the lesson of the green new deal and how that became so incredibly popular um is a lesson that the democratic party like writ large needs to learn yeah yeah i mean i i I don't know if I have big statements about that, but I do think that one thing that did help um, us uh, in that was that we, uh, and this is something that I'm actually really proud of, we never backed down about race. Yeah. We never lightened it. We never said, we actually don't mean that. We never <laughs> said, like, we did not. I and I did enough interviews where I was just like, no, you know, like, no. Um, and, um, and I think it ended up, I mean, I think it helped in the end, but I think that that was shocking for some folks at first Mm. that we were just like, uh, Mm -hmm. we hear you. We know that you are a very serious person, you know, and then we, and sometimes those people are respected and Ryan's was like, I respect your opinion, but no. (laughs) Right. You know, um, and, and like that, I mean, that has had some costs, right? Like, don't say the Green New Deal was one of the things, right, that was said along with don't say defund police. And people can talk about it all the time. They like to point at the, at the price tag, whatever, which that, which isn't real. 
I don't take that critique seriously, not because it doesn't affect, I'm sure the way some people see the Green New Deal, but I'm not going to respond to a critique that is very, very raced. Right. Without mm-hmm. having to talk about race. Right. Right. So if we want to have mm-hmm. a conversation about like why that charge of socialism is right, it's probably like deeply, um, connected to the insistence on racial equity, et cetera, we can do that. But what I'm not going to do is talk about price tags and act like that is actually what you, what you want to talk about. Cause it's not. Mm-hmm. And I do yeah. think that, so that what thing, you're saying is don't. Yeah. Like, um, don't, don't respond to stuff where, or at least call it out for partially what it is. Right. Right. I feel like we, Make right. a lot of bad faith critiques and try to respond to them as good faith exactly. critiques, and they're not good faith. Yep, exactly. And so no point exactly. in having the conversation because we can talk about investments, but what you really have an issue with is the way that we're talking about redistributing power, and that's right. actually not negotiable. Right. Exactly. It's like you can't always take the Republican bait and take all of their like talking points at face value, um, which is kind of, you know, it's always how they talk about climate change is like this economic mm. problem. Um, and it's always about how do we convince deniers? How do we convince deniers? And I kind of feel like the Democrats are like the mainstream Democrats, the moderate Democrats treat the Republican party as like their friend that they miss. Mm. Like they want their friend to come back to play with them so they can play the game of politics. And the thing is like to progressives, politics is not a game. It's life and death. If you look at the the main progressive policies, they're all about people fighting for their lives, trying to save their lives, right? Like defunding the police. The police are killing people. And have a lot of white nationalist presence. Medicare for all. People are dying. So these are not frivolous things. So to us, politics is not about a game where like you win some, you lose some. Like no, lives are actually at stake. And it's really frustrating to have that side be the one that gets kicked when the Democrats don't, don't, how are you not blaming the opponent you lost to? You know what I mean? Like you need to talk about, I think AOC said this in her, in her um, interview, you need to talk about why you're so vulnerable to that sort of attack. Um, So that's one thing. I think also just like talk about the humanity of these policies. Talk about the lives at stake. Yeah. I would say too, like along, I think what we were saying earlier, like um, when I, when Amy gave that example of the Koch brothers and them trying to take down Brown v. Board, or I talked about um, the unemployment system in Florida, I actually think those stories are really important because a lot of times what happens in policies we talk about and my my I got to shout out um the research associate in my pro- program Christina who pointed this out is that a lot of times what we talk about are racial outcomes but we don't talk about the racial origins right of the policies mm. that we are or the systems that we are talking about changing and that I think is actually um I'm not saying that it will do everything, but I do think it hurts us in um, in lots of ways if you're talking about how do you sort of try to dismantle white supremacy over the long term, because you're always talking about systems. Without that background, you're always talking about them as sort of, sort of neutral, right? right? Without that, it it sounds like maybe the racism 
was accidental or it's recent as opposed to I think sometimes when you tell the history you're like oh this is a problem that we needed to correct for 60 years exactly right like this isn't this isn't a new thing like this thing was found it to do a thing it has done poorly at its job in part because it was done in this way and now we have to write that so that the system works right right as it is supposed mm-hmm. to and we are also undoing a thing that shouldn't have been there in the first place exactly i think because i think the other part that i'm trying to do in my own work in addition to that too is also just talking about how bad these things are for systems just like how dumb they are off rip like there's a someone put like a keen quote uh someone i i was like on twitter and someone i think it was like a a columnist that used to work with keens or something um she was like keens hated unemployment because they thought it was stupid and that's exactly how i feel about white supremacy i'm like this is dumb Yeah. I'm like mm-hmm. beyond the fact that yeah. this is hateful, that stupid. you're causing lives, you're right. creating trauma. It's stupid. Yeah. Like this is a bad thing. Yeah. If you want to build something that will eventually cave in on itself and take everything down, you should 100% build something like white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You should just put right. that bug right. in the system from the very beginning <laughs> and your work will be done. Yeah, We don't <laughs> talk about it. And I think because we absolutely should make moral arguments. I think that's important. But the, the craziest thing is, it's it's interesting to me how many, and it's it's also, I think, it's not everyone's individual fault. I think it has to do with the way that a lot of us are trained. But morality is sort of seen as like treated as dumb mm. or like weak or naive. Right. Uh, in some of these conversations, you know, and so I think it's important, but I also feel like sometimes we miss the opportunity to just be like, this is dumb. Right. This like just actually doesn't make any sense. Right. Like if you want, mm-hmm. do you want this thing to keep going for more than the end of the century? You should probably re-up it. Right. You know, uh, you should probably fix it's, it. It's a weakness. I can't remember which episode, but like, um, I think it was when we were looking at, um, how the like oil companies were trying to, uh, kind of, you know, weaponize white supremacy in a way in, uh, communities of color to say like, you know, oh, the environmental movement is racist and like, they're going to try to, to push, these expensive energy transitions on you. And it's like, yeah, that fucking strategy works because, because of white supremacy. Like if you don't care about the morality side of it, you should care that it's a weakness to the thing that you're trying to accomplish. You know? Yeah. And I, and I wish that we talked about it more, like even calls of patriotism and all of that. Well, actually, I mean, America was founded <laughs> on slavery and genocide. So yeah. Right, right. But if talking about patriotism as like a desire for a country to get better, to thrive, right, to, if it's like based in an actual love, that is incompatible with white supremacy. Yes. You cannot be a real patriot Mm -hmm. and be a white supremacist. That's just, it means that you Mm -hmm. actually don't care about the health of this nation. And I think part of it is that it bothers me a lot as a person of color is because I feel like I love my country really deeply. That's why I do the work that I do. Right. Uh, And if I didn't care, Mm -hmm. it would be a whole different story. And it drives me nuts when I see folks who like will 
you know, essentially are, you know, even just this past week saying election results that are real aren't real, saying that they'll only count all legal votes, which is just a fancy way of saying white people, vote, you know, mm-hmm. voting, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of that. And, but they're still in a few months going to be treated as real patriots. Totally. And that like really bothers yeah. me because there are so many people out here who are like working day in and day out to like try to figure this stuff out, trying to make this country better. And they're like, we talked about earlier, like attacked. Yeah. As, as people who don't understand and, and attack or being radicals they, or whatever. Right. Yeah, but imagine that they want to like, tear down the country exactly. and it's like, really? Exactly. If a bunch of like black and brown people took to the streets armed, claiming that everybody else's vote didn't matter or didn't count, like, no, just, I just can't even imagine it. You know, like I just. You would never see it because exactly, it would be shut for the gas exactly, driveway. Exactly. And not only is it like allowed yeah. to happen, but these people are being catered to. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Or you right. see and coddled. Yeah. One way I also think that um, you know, Democrats could do better with making the case is to stop tying everything to a damn poll. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah. I think that when you're having to make the case for a new thing, um, especially when it comes to climate messaging, um, they're always like, Well, talking about it in the economic terms is what polls the best. Like, yeah, because that's the way people are used exactly. to hearing it. You need to normalize the conversation. You need to take on some leadership with this and stop going with like what has worked in the past and start talking about it differently. Because I promise you, everybody who has dropped everything and dedicated themselves to climate change didn't do it for the economy. Yeah. I've never in my life met a climate activist who's like, I'm here for the job, but I've never met <laughs> Well, and I think the conversation around the Green New Deal has really proven that, like what you were saying before, Rihanna, that people were initially saying, oh, you should stop talking about race as part of this, and you refused. And now, like, I think six months, a year down the road, you're just, you're hearing less of that. You're hearing, I'm hearing way fewer people say, oh, people need to stop conflating racial justice and climate than yeah. I did even a yes, year ago exactly you know, um, yeah yeah totally and I mean and yeah. folks can talk about how that influence legislative out whatever they want to talk about but I also need you to talk about how basically no democratic uh candidate came out without including racial equity in their climate plan right like I need you to also talk about the commitments that um now president-elect biden made to environmental justice in that like i need you to talk about also what changed right right Right. Right. um because we didn't end up having the same i think conversation that we would have had had we not sort of Mm -mm. stuck to that and refused to take it out and also refused to say that good climate policy could not not think about racial equity which we also refused to say right Mm -hmm. totally Mm -hmm. Right. You don't you don't change the world by running away from the conversation, you know, and you don't wait till the election cycle to do that. Exactly. So, yeah, I I get frustrated with policy. And this is something that like I I was hesitant to have this conversation, but I'm glad that we did, because it reminded me of something that like I tell people all the time, which is that policy. Yes, it's about ideas. It's about data, et cetera, et cetera. But policy is also very much 
a political process, right? It is not, yeah. it's not a science fair, right? Like you don't go around and be like, mm-hmm. you've got nothing to me on. <laughs> We're in and so I right. You said it, A plus. Right. But that's not what happens, right? Like you have an idea, you have to socialize that idea, right? Like you're, it's also not entering in a vacuum, right? There, what has the conversation been before? A lot of policy, I think, and how fast it moves, particularly when um, you're like not in the majority, uh, and this has been my experience, is um, has to do with like the narrative. It has to tell me at least three things. It needs to tell me a story about what is wrong, how it went wrong, and why the thing that either I'm working on or someone else is working on is a good, if not, an excellent solution to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. those three things, especially at a time when trusting government is so low, yeah, you aren't talking to people. And I do feel like often we just think that like, if you just have a good idea or it's smart, that's enough. And then yep. we sort of wonder yep. why people don't see things as urgently as we see them. Right. And it's like, well, you didn't tell them mm-hmm. the whole story. People are busy, mm-hmm. not stupid. They want to know right. why you are going to do this. They want to know right. how this will solve a problem. They want to know, they might not want to know everything, but they probably want to know, okay, how, how is it going to happen? How likely is it going to happen, et cetera? And there are ways to have those conversations with people and in ways that are enjoyable, right? That people feel mm-hmm. like they learn something because it it's a part of political education. It's a part of civic engagement. People should know and understand what their government is doing and why. Right. And when you can provide that to people, in my experience, they're really appreciative. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why you got to be efficient. You have to be persuasive. And like, if you can understand all of these different issues, why the mm-hmm. hell can't they? Exactly. So um, speaking of responsibilities, I have to go feed my children soon. So <laughs> uh, Mary, let's let's hear right. a, a Baloo update. Another another uh, caregiving responsibility. God, poor Baloo. Oh my God. Yeah. So um, I've had quite a weekend with my favorite um, little animal, Baloo, my baby. Um, he got really sick on Wednesday night um and started throwing up a lot and then you know i tried i made him a vet appointment they said it's going to take a week and a half and then you know i the next day he was just like really really tired and laying in my lap um and fast forward to friday i finally get him to the vet because he started throwing up more and they were like oh but he doesn't look sick um we'll just run some tests and see what happens but you can come pick him up by the time I got there, they were like, you need to get him to an emergency room right now. He has acute renal failure. Um, like his kidneys were failing. Um, so I had to take him to the emergency room and they were like, um, they did an ultrasound and they found that he had inflammatory debris on top of his kidneys. We have no idea where that came from. Um, the surgeon was calling all over New York City and New Jersey and upstate New York trying to find a surgeon who would do it on the weekend and couldn't find anybody. She told me she made like thousands of calls and then finally found someone in Philadelphia who could do it. And I rushed him there last night. 
And just before we started recording, actually, I got the call that he pulled through surgery. Um, better than they expected him to, actually, which is like the first time I got a call from a vet with news that sounded like it was getting better. Um, and yeah, um, it's been a wild ride. I'm finally starting to feel like a little bit more optimistic about it. Um, the bills are obscene. <laughs> um, this has definitely cost me um, well over $10,000 so far. It's absolutely crazy. It is it's highway yeah. robbery. Um, and so, Amy, thank you so much for setting up the GoFundMe because I honestly was like, because you got to pay it all in yeah, full. it's nice. You can't um, put it you can't do a payment plan. There's no, there's like some credit things that you can do, but they're honestly not that much. Um, and I was like, I can't empty my savings account right now. Like we're in a pandemic. My family needs me yeah. to support them. My mom's on yeah. a fixed income. Um, and so I'm really grateful to everybody who has contributed. Um, this will come out a week from right when yeah. we're recording it. This is Sunday, November the 15th. Um, and um, so I will probably, Blue will probably be in a very different place by the time this is yeah. out in the world. We'll put, we can um, post an update but, on the GoFundMe for people too. Um, but yeah, yeah, all the, like, it's, it's amazing. I think so, it's over 200 people have donated now. So that's awesome. I'm really touched by everybody yeah. who's donated. Um, I will be posting gratuitous balloon pictures <laughs> when, when he's back home. I'll start him an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's going to have to get a job now. Um, and Rihanna, I need you to put pet insurance on the Green New Deal, yes. too. Yeah. Yes, y'all. This is, Mary convinced me to keep my pet insurance because I was wondering why I was paying for it every month. Oh, you know, um, it's worth it. It's worth it. But Yeah. 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 But we'll, I'll try. We'll try to do it. I'll do our best because our, uh, our furry friends are a big part of nature. <laughs> And that's true um, they're bad for birds outside, but, but still they are yeah. very important parts of our environment yeah yeah and rihanna is always asking for pictures of balloons oh, that's too, my so. baby he's so cute, <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Oh, i would yeah. text mary i'd be like she'll take a picture of blue i'd be like don't be mean to my baby what's he doing I feel like I, <laughs> like an infinite auntie. I'm like, don't mess with my baby. Leave him alone. <laughs> he's on a tree. You stop like, calling him no. dumb, Mary. I'm just kidding. He's so cute. I'm like, I will. I will never. I will never talk shit about my cat again. <laughs> like I used to tease him about how stupid he was and how obnoxious he was. I will never do it again because it's so weird, even right now, to be recording this without podcast him jumping on him your lap. lap. I know. Oh, yeah he's always like getting into something so i miss him so much and hopefully the news just keeps yes. getting better yes awesome yeah. all right well um thanks rihanna for joining us we really appreciate it it was so great to get oh, all of this yeah no thank you sorry i talk so much I no don't, don't be sorry it's short all... sentences nope nope it's, it's really good. a struggle <laughs> it's a podcast yeah. girl it's such it a struggle we want I be trying. Good. I be trying. <laughs> Especially now with the pandemic. I have pandemic. Do y'all also just forget what you're saying in the middle of a lot? Yep. 
absolutely. me all the time now. Yeah. And so yeah. I can't, I can't be shorter. Cause I'm like, bitch, I don't remember how this started. So we're just going to have to follow it all the way to the end. <laughs> no yeah, idea. Just, I'm like, I can't, I'm, it's like switching lanes with the car next to me. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I'm stuck, I can't, I'm stuck. I just, I mad live my way through life. Oh man. So, uh, but anyway, no, thank you for this. This was really, really yeah. fun. Yeah. No, same. And, and good luck. And also Amy, I hope your babies and everyone's good. Yes. They're, uh, they're driving me crazy, but they're good. They're good. Everyone's mm-hmm. good. Hanging in there, grinding it out. Not looking yeah. forward to like, you know, however many more months of oh, pandemic fun times but yeah Jeez. yeah 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 i Ugh, yeah i feel like and we've had in the same way that there's been like waves of the virus there's been waves of quarantine fatigue too. i feel like i'm in yeah. one right now me too i feel like it I, is i'm like really wow difficult. it just hit me again that like this is gonna go on and on for another few months yeah, it sucks. totally. It's really hard for me to make good decisions right now, I feel like. Yes. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm like, uh, I mean, I could clean that up or. I could leave it there. Yeah. yeah. Or I could just try to make it to yeah. another day. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yep. Totally. Yes. 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 Uh, all right. Well, ah. hang in there, everybody. And um, yeah. keep fucking that chicken. Ah, I did it this time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Nice. Uh, all right. Okay, we got to go. Right. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Big thank you to Rihanna Gunwright for joining us. You can and should follow her on Twitter. She is at rguns. That's R-G-U-N-N-S. Yeah. And you should be following us on Twitter. We are at Real Hot Take. And you should follow me on Twitter at, at Mary Heckler. And you can follow Amy on Twitter at, at Amy Westervelt. That's right. And you can sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every week on Sunday with a great curated digest of the week's climate coverage plus original features from me and mary Mm -hmm. you can also leave us a rating or review on itunes it really does help us to find new listeners and just for the record if you have a negative review we have a whole system for that you can send it to brian.con at earther.com that's brian b-r-i-a-n.con k-a-h-n at earther.com he's waiting and ready for your negative reviews he loves hate mail, and he we does. don't. He does. We're, you know, <laughs> slight annoyance mail, too. Yes. Yeah, really anything. Anything that's not, you guys are brilliant. Send it to Bri Bri. Yeah, do it. Yeah, and we've got a little bit of news for y'all, which is that uh, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus for the end of the year. Um, we've got a couple of more episodes coming out, but uh, don't look for us too much between now and January. And then we'll be back with season three of Hot Take. Can you believe it's season three? It's kind I of can't crazy, believe it. Right? That is kind of awesome. I know. Yeah. I know. Proud of us. 
this, proud of us. This is actually, um, we'll call this our birthday episode because our birthday yes. is November 18th. Rihanna came on for our birthday. She did. She That's didn't come perfect. on for my birthday, which is what I wanted, but she came but on the for the show's birthday. birthday. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Hot Take is an original Critical Frequency production created by Mary Anais Hegler and me, Amy Westervelt. Our producers are Maria Muriel and Isis Madrid of Pizza Shark Productions. Our artwork was done by Amanda Pinedo and refined by Larissa Ikeda. Special thanks for help on the newsletter to Elia Griffin, Juliana Bradley, and Georgia Wright. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Hot Take and find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please remember to rate or review the show. It helps us find listeners. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter through the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>